Welcome to episode number 80 of the Grab Blogger podcast. This is the podcast where helping academics change the world through online business. We're helping you by giving you the tools, the tips, the strategies you need to build an online business around your research experience and your background around the change that you want to make in the world. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're doing an interview on how to run an effective in-person and online workshop. To do that, we have back on the podcast, Dr. Isabeau Iqbal from isabeauiqbal.com. And we're really excited to have her on the podcast. Dr. Iqbal, thank you for coming back on. Thanks, Chris, for having me back. I'm really happy to be able to have this conversation with you today. So those of you who have been listening through the last uh, couple of weeks and months, we had Isabeau on in episode 74 of the podcast, talking about starting a coaching business as an academic, her background there, her story about how she started her, her business where she coaches ambitious perfectionists in and around the higher education space, talk about her journey, things like how she finds clients, and just overall some ideas around how to build up a business as a coach. Some really important takeaways there were around focusing on doing just that. Make sure you get the skills to actually be able to build a business what you're doing. It's not just coaching people that you have to do, but you have to actually sell services and build up an infrastructure there as well. We talked about certification and a lot of other important topics as well. I want to get Isabel back on for a couple reasons to talk about this process of online workshops. So reason number one is that workshop facilitation I'm not exactly sure why, but maybe Isabeau can, can point it out, but it seems to be a place where a lot of academics start their entrepreneurship journey. I think they probably have some skill sets in this already, and they start doing it and finding they're good at it, and they kind of build this up as a service offering that they can do at other universities. The second kind of reason is if you're doing one-on-one coaching, like um, you know a lot of the coaches we've had on the podcast before it started with, then moving more towards this many-to-one model, moving more, more towards workshops where you can teach and coach and help multiple people at once seems to be a place that that coaches and academic coaches in particular seem to gravitate towards as well. So in this episode, we're going to talk about why should you consider adding workshops to your business model. We're going to talk about what are some of the common key components around planning an effective workshop and delivering an effective workshop. We're going to talk about how to keep people engaged and maybe even more importantly, if you want to keep the business running, keeping organizers happy. Uh, and what does this look like as we kind of transition in the space that we're in today to online, more online learning, more online workshops, and more online events. So as always, you can download the transcripts of this podcast episode at grabblar.com slash 80. That's eight zero. We'll probably pull out a cheat sheet with tips on running and planning effective workshop from this interview that you can download at that link as well. So Isabel, we covered your kind of story, your backstory, why you got into business, how you built your business over the last number of years in episode 74. So I think in this one, we'll probably just jump right into why in your business, do you include workshops as part of your, your business model? Sure. Um, yeah, it's pretty much uh, what you were saying just a few moments ago. So initially, it was really because I have experience and comfort in designing and facilitating workshops from my career as an educational developer at a university teaching and learning center. And I really enjoy facilitating. So it seemed like a a natural place to, um, a natural thing to to include. Also, as I talked about in that previous conversation that we had, I was initially trained through a tool called the Clifton Strengths Assessment. And that approach is really focused, well, not only on individual strengths, but also team strengths and team collaboration. So it did seem also like a really good fit with uh, with that approach. And then, of course, in terms of revenue. So what you were saying just a few minutes ago, again, was around, I do the one-on-one coaching. 
and then to have a, an offer where I could also work with, um, with groups. It helps me in terms of um, having more reach and more impact in, in that way too. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I have seen this come up with folks that are inside the self-tender community, people that we worked with in coaching, where you if you're doing one-on-one services, and it doesn't have to be coaching, it could be website design, it could be any sort of service of that's your your business model. There's a there's inherent maximum roof. <laughs> you can only, you know, work so many hours in a week. Hopefully it's less than than 50, 60, 70, 80 if if you're you're doing things, uh, you know, the way that we'd like to see and, and maybe even less than 40 or 30 if you're really dialed in and sure you can charge more, but charging more is also a tough one. Cause it's not, you know, charging 30% more is pretty hard to do and charging 60% more is even harder to do. But at the end of the day, how do you charge, you know, 10 times or hundred times more? It, it's hard to do on one-to-one. You can really move into these other models where you can serve more people at one time. Exactly. Yeah. So if someone's just getting started, then if they're thinking, well, I, I do have some skills in workshops. Like you said, I understand some of the tools and I'm interested in expanding into this. I think if we zoom out to sort of frame this conversation, what are the key components around planning an effective workshop? What are the pieces that we, we should dive into in the rest of this conversation? Yeah, because the planning is so crucial to a running effective workshop. So I have eight suggestions around planning effective workshops. And the first is to, to learn more about your client's needs. So often I'll get a phone call or an email and it'll be a really vague request. We'd like a workshop around strengths. And that doesn't tell me a lot. So one of the very first things I do is request a phone meeting where I can find out a little bit more about what the client is, is wanting. And that is so, so helpful. Uh, finding things about, you know, who the participants are going to be, their age, their backgrounds, their education, whether they know each other, whether they're strangers. So those bits will really help with the, with the planning. And then another part around client needs is how do they want to work together? So some people want to be more involved and others don't. And I think that it's really important to, to know that upfront because it will help ensure their satisfaction with, uh, with the process. So that's, that's one piece. And I'm not sure if I should pause if you have follow-up questions or if I should just continue Oh, I like this. We have the eight components. This probably will end up being the uh, the, the cheat sheet that we come up with. <laughs> That's right. The eight components of planning effective workshops. So number one, learning more and diving more in both the needs of your, your client, understanding those. And I think number two was... Yeah, sorry, that was kind of blended into number one, learning more about their needs. So their needs include like, how do they want to, to work together? So the second point is around uh, creating learning objectives for the workshop. And You don't necessarily need to articulate these to your clients or your learners, but as a as a designer of a workshop, as someone who is going to be designing the workshop and facilitating the workshop, uh, having learning objectives is is really helpful. And then number three. So from your learning objectives, you create a detailed session plan and Here, I use an approach called backwards design, which is essentially about planning and designing your workshop with the end in mind. So you have your your learning objectives and then you figure out, okay, well, how am I going to actually 
help the participants to, to reach these, these learning objectives. And when I do my planning, I have a really detailed session plan that outlines what's going to be going on for the various sections of the workshop, what resources I need, what the timing will be, what the participants will be doing, what I'll be doing. I know not everybody works like this. And probably for some folks, it would might drive them a little bit nuts. For me, this is really, really helpful when I'm facilitating and when I'm planning. So that's number three. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a uh... Those are critical points, and I don't want to stop you, so keep keep going on down the track. Number four. Okay, so number four is, uh, I call this have an accordion plan. So if you think about the musical instrument, the accordion, because you do all this careful planning, and in my case, like I say, there's things broken down by, by minutes, and without exception, something changes. The, the day of, right? Either people, the organizer asks you to start a few minutes late or the discussion's really good and you decide to extend. So having an accordion plan where you can either stretch things out or compress as needed is going to save you, you the stress. Number five is create supporting resources. So think about whether you're, are you going to be using PowerPoint slides or, or slides? Are you going to have a handout? I also include in, in their supporting resources any messages that I am going to send ahead of the workshop and after the workshop. And I'll say a little bit more about that. But in the initial phases with the organizer, I always ask whether I will be able either through them or myself to, to send these messages. Number six is to create an evaluation sheet. So this is something that would be sent to the participants after the workshop. And sometimes the organizers, they have a standard. If they are, if doing workshops is part of what they do fairly regular, regularly, they might have an evaluation sheet that they want to use or they might have you craft it and, and send it out um, on your behalf. Number seven is to make some notes during the session or after. So how did things actually go? Because you'll have your plan, things, if especially if it's maybe your first, second, third time running this workshop, you won't necessarily have a sense of how long things actually take. And I have made the mistake of saying after, oh, you know, I'll do this later, I'll remember. <laughs> and then that doesn't that doesn't actually happen. So really doing it right in the workshop or doing it immediately after it takes only minutes and it is so, so helpful. Uh, so that was number seven. And then my last uh, tip for uh, planning is to give yourself enough time to to do the planning because it can be there's so many details and it can be stressful if you're trying to do this under a real time crunch so to give yourself enough time is a gift you're giving yourself no i love that and so i'm gonna give a, a short summary then of the eight uh, eight tips so we have learn more about your audience's needs um create learning objectives and outcomes beforehand but even that's the one of the first things you should be doing create a detailed session plan have an accordion plan and, and I've, I've used kind of the term modular here before as well. You can kind of snap and click different th pieces together. That's nice too, because if you want to create a mini version of that for something else, 
you can kind of take that piece of the accordion out and, and use it for something else. Or if you want to, you know, if you have three sort of workshops that you run, maybe you can combine them together in different ways to, to serve different audiences. Five, we have identify and create supporting resources, um, your slides or your videos or, or the things that you're doing there. Six, create an evaluation worksheet. Seven, make notes during the session and after. And, and eight, give yourself the luxury of, of actually having some time. Luxury is probably not even the right word. Give yourself the sanity of, of having some time for the planning phase of this whole thing. For sure. For sure. Yeah, thanks. You said something that was really cool that I, I liked. Where was it? It was here on step step five, identify and create supporting documents. In here, you said create the messages before and after the workshop to the audience, or sorry, to the organizers. This is a really good one. There's a lot of people, and I do this myself, you know, you, you do the thing, you plan everything out, and and then you think about, okay, I'll get to that part when it comes. And then it's, you know, you've done all this great planning on your workshop, but you you have to craft your emails to your organizers, you know, right before they need it or something. It's really good to have this plan in place and say, okay, this is the step in the plan in which I do this. And I think it'll probably make you more effective at running this whole workshop to begin with. Yeah, and so there's the messages to the organizers and the messages that I ask the organizers to to send to the participants because in all likelihood, the organizer and you know what's going on and what the purpose is, but the participants, either they may have heard something through the organizer which wasn't crafted by you and is possibly slightly either incorrect might be too harsh, but perhaps it doesn't really portray what you're, what you're planning to do and what uh, the goals of the workshop are. So it's nice to be able to, to access the, the participants through your own voice, you know, by, by email, of course. Yeah. And you could even send them like a short video or something, but I, I don't know if you've tried that. That might work as well. I have done that once. And usually it's the time piece that, uh, that, that prevents me from doing it. It's like, oh shoot, wanted to do that. So yeah, I think a video is a, is a great idea. Cool. So we plan the, the workshop out then. Do you have any tips on how to, to keep people engaged and, you know, making sure that the attendees actually get, get to those learning objectives and outcomes that you identified in step uh, two? In my experience, if you have been in conversation with your contact person and you've had you know, one or multiple exchanges about the participants, you really get a pretty good sense of the room you're walking into, whether that's an online space or an actual room. Things like, you know, I'll know if it's a, a more formal group or if it's one that welcomes creativity and I'll I'll know if they know each other or not, because that makes a huge difference in in a workshop or or how well they know each other, whether they're used to doing Pro-D together or not. So all these pieces help me in planning, but then also help with the engagement because I will have planned according to the group of people who are actually going to be there. So to a large extent, your ability to engage a group depends on whether you've planned for them or whether you're planning for a generic audience. And um, as is probably very obvious through this conversation, I am in favor of planning for the people who will actually be there. I was going to clarify on uh, maybe an acronym there. Do you say PRO-D? Is that, is that program development? Uh, profession, sorry, professional development. Okay, you got it. Yeah, yeah. And then Engagement depends a lot on the rapport that you build with the participants and the organizer, both 
before the workshop, hence the, the messages that I was talking about, message or messages, and also the rapport that you build with them like in, in the workshop. So opening the session and setting the tone, uh, I think are things to pay close attention to when you are when you're thinking about engagement more broadly. So, you know, we've probably all attended workshops in which we're disengaged or fully engaged within minutes. And that has a lot to do with how the facilitator opens up the the workshop. You know, small things like now with us doing so much of this online, like whether they see your face or whether it's some slide and you know your face is either not there or some tiny little little square these different things can help people feel comfortable whether you're there to chat with them a little bit for anybody who signs on on early so rapport I think is is a really big thing another piece with engagement is finding ways to bring the participants voices in and that could be their actual voices or uh, through through chat because a workshop is not a presentation right there has to be an exchange and that exchange is between you and the participants and it's also between participant to participant. So finding ways to build that in also is is helpful for engagement. Another piece around engagement is making sure that your content is relevant and it helps to solve a problem or address a challenge that's, you know, that's important to them. The the cliche what's in it for me is actually I think has a lot of a lot of merit. I also like to um, to give opportunities for people to start to apply the content. And that may be in a very small way, but I think it's so easy, again, to do a, a professional development session, a workshop, and be engaged. And then the moment it's over, despite being engaged and enthusiastic, you know, something else is going to grab your attention. If you have a chance to to let the participants start to interact with the content, I think that also is is really helpful. And along with that is giving them opportunities to reflect on their learning, right? So not like, not you, the fire hose, just spewing lots of information, but helping them to reflect on what their takeaways are and what they uh, want to do with the information. And finally, in terms of engagement is your level of organization. So I think engagement is really enhanced when you're organized and when the technology works. I would agree. And tremendously interrupted and disruptive when the technology doesn't work and the, the uh, organizer is not organized. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and technology, there are some things we can control and other things we can't, but practicing if you are in an online space or I mean, regardless whether you're in whatever space you're in and if you're using technology to try and uh, find practice opportunities ahead of time so that you can uh, be more comfortable the day of yeah i mean a couple of things there if you're in person yeah getting down and seeing the venue um, testing out the the projectors or the technology the computers Figuring out if you're bringing your own computer, using your own, using someone else's. Uh, if you're using your own, do you have the right cables to connect to their system? You should. You, you really, if you want to come off polished and do well, you really should be getting eyes and and hands on the the space before you you start there. And I try that even if I'm giving presentations. It's 
you know, it's sneaking down the night before and trying to get them while they're setting up and saying, okay, this is the space. It helps you kind of visualize when you're, when you're giving the talk or the workshop or whatever it is, you know, okay, well, when I'm trying to make my major points, maybe I'll stand over here and they'll, you know, oh, they're going to face the booth this way. Well, this is not helpful. You know, I'm on the, the left side of the screen. So maybe I'll start over on the right side of the screen and make sure I bring a clicker with me or, you know, you try, try to figure all those things out. They're going to make me wear a Britney Spears uh, head, headset. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to do my morning visualization to make sure I'm ready for that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, I think that's such a good uh, additional strategy is is going and seeing the physical space if that's the kind of if that's the kind of workshop that you're you're doing in person workshop because for example for me I'm used to using a lot of flip charts and maybe there's no wall space or maybe there's a huge pillar that kind of blocks part of the the participants and and you so there's so many little details that that can then be adjusted if you have seen the space and if you're doing a workshop in another city and you don't have access to the space I usually ask the person the organizer to send me some pictures ahead of time so that I can see what the room is like yep that's a good way to do it if you're doing these online then I mean doing test runs the technology it's if you're organizing an event uh, do test runs with your speakers. It makes them more more confident. Um, it certainly makes you more confident and include some things like what are we going to do? You know, what's what's step one when things don't work? If my if a computer freezes or power goes out or goes down, usually step one is to log out and re-log in. <laughs> that fixes 98% of problems. That's like I called IT and they said, did you try unplugging and plugging it back in? <laughs> you know, but then what are we going to do after that? Okay, maybe you need to call in and, and I'll control the slides or I'll call in and you'll control the slides or, you know, however that kind of is going to work there. Because when you're online and live, when it drops, it drops. And the audience is going to look very negatively on on a session that just gets completely busted up by, by these sort of outside. Like they'll, they'll associate that with you, even though it's probably not your fault. Mm-hmm. We ran our, our conference for Dust Safety Science back in February. We did 52 presentations back to back over four days. And it was it was mayhem, but we did a test run with every speaker beforehand, and we had only five minutes between each session, so we had a little bit of time, not near enough, and it came off without a hitch. But it was nerve wracking the entire time. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a feat! Oh, I was I was I was stunned. I was expecting at least a you know five percent failure rate. So for us, that would have meant probably you know one or two or three presentations going down. But they they all worked. And I was talking with Isabeau before we got on the call. A lot of people in my space in the online, um, in the industrial safety side, are moving to online conferences, but they're also pre-recording their sessions, which has, it gets rid of a lot of the headaches of things messing up when you go live, but also removes some of that engagement. So I'm not 100% sure how I feel about it. I've been involved in both. I'm not sure yet. I, I think we will probably still go live next year for the Digital Dust Safety Conference, just to switch it up from what other people are seeing. But yeah, that's a that's still a long way away. <laughs> You think. <laughs> yeah, it's getting closer every day, right? <laughs> um, so this is really cool. So we went through some engagement parts, how to plan. Uh, one part that I, I find people don't talk about very much for workshops and presentations and that is the the organizers and keeping them happy. And if you neglect this one, then you won't get invited back. And I'd like to add a question to your your kind of first your first point on these tips for planning. So learn more about your clients, your your clients' needs, the organizers. So participants is one, but it's really good to ask your your whoever the lead organizer is, you know, what makes a success, success for you? 
and what you're looking for is what is your boss? What, what is this, what's going to make your boss happy if this goes right? Um, and try to make sure you, you deal with that as well. But do you have any tips on keeping the organizers happy in these sort of workshops or presentations or, or online and offline environments? Yeah, so starting with that, those conversations, right, initially and, and, um, and finding out what is, like, why did they even reach out to you? What is it that uh, they want to accomplish or have you helped to have accomplished through this workshop? I have generally felt that the organizer is happy if the people who attended the workshop are happy. And that might be naive, but there is something to be said about, you know, if your participants are, are energized and they're talking about what happened in the workshop, that makes an organizer very happy and feel that the, that that was time well spent. If they can see any carryover over time, I mean, that's a, that's an immense uh, bonus. That's sometimes harder to track. So I would say, you know, workshop success starts way before the workshop and the way that you interact with the organizer, uh, whether you show that you're curious and interested in their needs, that you're working to address these and that you're interested in doing this work, right? Like it's not yawn, another another workshop, here we go again, but that you're, that you've got enthusiasm and ideas that um, that you want to share with with them possibly if that's something that they that they want uh, another piece is around your level of organization and communication with them and people don't like surprises you've talked about various ways that you have um, helped you know to ensure good communication in terms of for example doing those practice sessions with your presenters and then uh, also asking them and listening to their, asking them for feedback and listening to their, their feedback. So as part of my planning, I book a a short conversation for after the workshop, not the day of the workshop, but maybe just a few days after the workshop and uh, where I ask them for their, their feedback. And that's also another way to, um, I think that that contributes to, to their overall sense of, uh, this was this was worth it. Yeah, and I kind of try to think of a way to summarize this, but make it make it easy for them. Like, don't make them jump through a thousand hoops to get things planned and started, and show enthusiasm and be organized during that planning process. During the event, you really want to make them look good, essentially. And and the biggest part of that is probably having the audience be happy and enthusiastic and excited about what they learned and actually having good outcomes showing up on time, showing up, you know, with the proper professional look that is going on for the event. And, and like all that ties into to making them look um, good as an organizer and and smart, for lack of a better word, for choosing you as the person one giving the person giving the workshop. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we're doing a panel for an online conference now that I'm, I'm I'm organizing with six uh, six people, and we were just on a two hour call getting that organized before this this interview. So um, my head's already spinning on all this stuff, trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right in it. So in that vein, we talked around. You know, a lot of in person workshops are being put on hold. A lot of this is moving to online now. Um, what are some things that you're adding or you know removing from your your workshops to to deal with this new reality of, of giving them online? 
I am not someone who is super comfortable with uh, technology. So initially, when I started to offer my workshops online, I hired a co-facilitator. So someone who was or who is comfortable with technology who could help initiate me and who was there also to uh, to provide support in a whole bunch of ways. And that was terrific. That was such a good investment for, for me. Another piece that I'm adding is, I would say, even more attention to connection. So I tend to be fairly relationship-oriented, but I would say perhaps even more so in this online space. And by connection, I mean finding ways for the participants to connect with one another, for me to connect with with them, you know, using things like breakout rooms and all the other interactive features of these online platforms. I think also um, paying more attention to the messaging ahead of time. That's another piece that I've, I've added. So I did that uh, before and have uh, really attempted to be just as clear as I can in any messages before and providing any information that helps to set the stage. For example, you know, letting people know that it's going to be an interactive workshop, kind of letting them know what that is going to entail so that they know what to expect when they're, when they're coming into that, into that space and to reduce any frustrations that they, that, that they, yeah, I just want to, reduce their frustrations. Yeah, well, I guess you talk about what you're adding. Is there anything that you're taking away from from your in-person workshops? I love to use uh, like glue and colored pens and images and things like that in my workshops. So that is not part of my my online workshops. I still try to use visuals, but it doesn't, it's not that tactile, you know, piece. And I'm also removing the expectation that things are going to be the same, right? I mean, this is not about replicating the experience of an in-person workshop. There are definitely elements that I that I bring to the online, but I can't expect it to be the same. You know, when people go into the breakout rooms, I'm not hearing or seeing or sensing the conversations like I do when I can walk around a room and see people around a table. But there are other things that, you know, that I can do. So expectation management on my own part. Yeah, that I would say would be like the two big pieces that that uh, I am taking away. Makes a lot of sense to me. And that's a really good point on managing your own expectations and the expectations of the, the folks that you're, you're working with. Just letting them know that it is it is going to be different. And you the the one that I really liked is that you, you said letting people know ahead of time what, what this is going to be and what the stage is going to be like. And I, I'm personally not as I'm trying to get more interactive as I as I've moved into my my various online businesses. But you know, I might be the person that if somebody says, you know, get up and and hug the person next to you, that I might roll my eyes or something. But it is helpful that I found that if it's going to be that type that type of deal to say up front, these are the ground rules that we're playing by for this next hour, and you know, just and then people say, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll do the. I mean. Nobody's going to be hugging each other right now nope. <laughs> with COVID, nope. but um, you know, at least laying the groundwork, saying these are these are the rules that we're playing by for the next you know hour, or four hours, whatever the workshop is, um, and just laying the groundwork for this is what it's going to be like, so that your audience knows what to expect and the people that you're working with know what to expect 
during that process. For sure. And some of that is in the messaging ahead and and also in the opening of this of the session, right? It doesn't have to be this, you know, long formal thing, but people can get a sense of who you are and if and articulating some of those pieces, I think is is helpful. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I'd encourage anyone that's interested in understanding these sort of workshops to go check out um, Isabeau's website because she does offer these as a service to give you an idea of what the packaging looks like, what the framing looks like for kind of setting these up. And there's probably some more strategies even that we'll, we'll come on talk about on the podcast in a future episode that around, you know, the, the business of, of putting these together. But I think for just kind of closing off this interview, we've shared a lot of value around how to plan a workshop, how to interact with the audience, how to keep the organizers happy, things that are required moving online. Is there any any kind of one nugget or one last tip they want to leave people with before we, we close off this episode? I would say it's not for everybody, right? So it's not a matter of thinking you should be doing workshops, but really seeing whether this is something that you want to try out, whether this is something that, yeah, gives you energy and, and spark. And if it is great, there are many ways to build your skills as a workshop uh, facilitator. And if it's not, that's okay too. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I do think it's a really good path. And I think we probably even talked about this, our accelerator program case study that we had with uh, Dr. Gaius Augustus. Yes, episode 14 of the podcast. So um, well over a year and a half ago, we talked about how, as part of the Grab Blog Accelerator program, how he used a, a, what we call the weekend workshop to really get started. Um, he generated this workshop, decided on learning outcomes, decided on how to you know piece this thing together, get the interaction, get the engagement there. In his case, it was all around, I think it was around uh, artistic like drawing and, and things like that. But the reason I liked it and the reason we suggested as part of that, the Accelerate program and, and he did so well with it was that it enabled him to take his knowledge, his intellectual property that he owns in his head and put it into this workshop. The nice thing about this workshop is he didn't need a big email list. He had a small email list for his website, but he could put it out and say, hey, we're doing this. Um, it costs, I think, maybe, I think he did $39 or something like that. We're doing it in two or three weeks. And I think he had 10 or 20 people sign up for this workshop and was able to you know, go from zero to, to making $700 or $1,000 just from this one workshop. But more than that, he generated a, a replicatable program. Basically, you could run this workshop whenever you know, maybe once every two months and just get an idea of how to keep building and adding into his business. So it really is like a whole business division that you can add. And as Isabel was talking about early on in the podcast episode here, it's a skill set that we as academics generally have, have access to. Um, and a lot of us, not myself so much as in, in the, uh, the engineering and, and technology side, but a lot of us as academics understand um, how to develop learning outcomes, how to frame uh, learning outcomes, and how to do that process that you talked about, working backwards, how do we get people to that stage? And that's really what you need to be able to run and, and, and plan for these type of effective workshops. So, Isabel, this has been a great interview, um, great episode. Thank you again for coming on the podcast. I'm sure those that uh, are listening are, are taking lots of notes, and you know, we'll use this in designing their own workshops. We talked about your story back in episode 74 of the podcast, but if somebody wants to learn more about you and your work, where's the, the best spot for them to go and, and get connected with you? I'm very active on LinkedIn. So that's a good place to connect with me. 
my website, as you mentioned, has some information about uh, about the workshops, but LinkedIn and my website would be great places to, to go. And I also want to say that I very much enjoyed this conversation, Chris, and thank you for having me back. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to we'll get you back on for the three-peat soon. And uh, yeah, thanks. And keep doing all the, the great work you're doing there with uh, your business in the, the online space. Thank you. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Dr. Isabo Iqbal from isaboiqbal.com. And that's I-S-A-B-E-A-U for Isabo and Iqbal is I-Q-B-A-L.com. We'll be talking about how to plan and run effective in-person online workshops. We talked about why you might want to consider workshops as part of your business model, both building on skill sets that we already have as academics, but beyond that, having that as an effective way to 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 add to maybe a one-on-one coaching practice or even a one-on-one service practice or a one-on-one product, having these sort of done with you programs where you can help a lot of people at once, really add another business division to what you're doing that that might uh, you know help build your business as well. We talk about for someone who's just getting started, what are the effective components of planning a, a workshop or what are the components of planning effective workshop? And Isabo came with uh, eight of these prepared. So learn more about your client's needs, Create your learning objectives and outcomes ahead of time. Create a detailed session plan by working backwards from the objectives that you want to have that workshop get out. What results do you want? Having a communication plan beforehand and getting an idea of, she called it an accordion plan, which was really interesting. You have these modular sections and you sort of snap together. If you had to delete one, you know how to do that seamlessly so the participants aren't experiencing a big gap. We can kind of open and close that accordion. I like that that visual of it. Step five, we had around identifying and creating your supporting material and resources. Step six was on creating the evaluation worksheet that you're going to be using after. Make sure that's ready to distribute. Making notes during the session and near after. And point eight, and, and really comes to all of them, was just giving yourself enough time to actually organize this whole process. And we'll put those together in a cheat sheet that you can get at grablar.com slash 80. So always you can download the transcripts of this episode, which will actually probably be something good to do because we covered more things like how to engage the people in the workshop, how to keep your organizers happy, and just understanding, you know, how to move to online workshops from the the maybe in-person workshops that we've been used to in the past. So that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and I look forward to bringing you a new guest on the Grab Blogger podcast or having a new session coming up next week and uh, helping you build your online business from there. Thank you.